You are listening to The Book of Firsts, a podcast where we flick back through the pages of our guests' lives to uncover three of their most profound first-time experiences. A memorable first they've had, a first they want to have, and a first they wish they'd never had in the first place. I'm your host, Emma Tyndall, podcaster and producer, and this is The Book of Firsts. There are many words I could use to describe today's guest, author, actress, model, TV personality, but none of them quite seem to do her justice. So instead, I'll just say today I am joined by someone who encompasses strength, passion and above all resilience, Jess Impiazzi. Though you might initially recognize Jess from MTV's X on the Beach and later her stint on Celebrity Big Brother, it was actually always Jess's dream to be an actress showing great entrepreneurship for writing and acting from a young age, including several attempts to put shows on at her local pub at just seven years old, Jess got a place at Italia Conti Theatre School, which set a light in her a desire to pursue a career on the stage. However, Jess's spark, though quick to ignite, was very suddenly blown out after suffering from several traumatic experiences during her early adolescence. She was forced to drop out of school and spent the majority of her early 20s feeling lost, unable to focus and believing that she was unworthy of happiness. However, Jess's story is a reminder that dreams really can come full circle when you set your sights on what you desire. Ten years on, Jess is now pursuing a full-time acting career, having appeared in Strike, Override, and most recently, Keep Calm and Carry On for Prime Video. She is also an author, having published her book Silver Linings in 2020, and is a campaigner for mental health and a guide dogs ambassador. Jess has probably experienced more things for the first time than all of us put together, but I can safely say... I've never met anyone who is so grounded, compassionate and positive, who, despite the hand she's been dealt, has played with integrity and respect for herself throughout. Jess Impiazzi, welcome to the Book of Firsts. I could literally cry. Thank you for that lovely introduction. (laughs) I was there holding it all in, but thank you. That meant a lot. Sometimes when you you just keep going, you don't give yourself the time to stop. And then when you hear it all laid back, you're like, oh. So yeah, thank you for such a lovely introduction. Oh, you're so welcome. It's kind of what this podcast is all about, I guess. Like, I love when guests come on and they're like, oh, I've never really thought about my life in that sort of grand spectrum of things. So I'm glad, I'm glad that it's kind of made you a bit sentimental because that is the theme of the pod. So. It definitely has. Thank you. <laughs> um, firstly, I wanted to thank you for sending over such incredible first time experiences. Um, it always excites me when like guests send over good ones that we can really get our teeth into. And I think you've been really honest, which our listeners are going to really appreciate. Um, I'm curious whether you found it hard to to choose them. I did actually. It took me a couple of days to ponder over them. Um, and I think it's just because I don't know whether I'm oversharing because I have a problem with doing that but I think it's a good thing now I've come to realize it can be a very good thing and help other people or I don't want to let anyone down with just using a nonsense one that's to kind of brush over it but um I think it uh, still to this day I, I share a lot and I speak about a lot on podcasts and my books and stuff but it still can be quite daunting sometimes um but yeah so there's lots of different things in our lives that are hard to share but I feel like when we do, it's a weight taken off. And I think that's why I went in with the deep ones. Cause I was like, you know what? Like, a problem shared is a problem halved. <laughs> totally, totally. And I mean, you've been incredibly 
um, vocal and honest, especially like in Silver Linings. I remember reading that and being like, wow, this is really, um, you know, I'd never read anything that was so honest and kind of brutally honest, really. Um, <laughs> so I think that there is definitely a place for it. And I'm, yeah, I'm glad you're sharing um, all of these memories. But your first experience which is we always talk about this one first it's the most memorable first that you have and I love 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 this one because I think there's so much to unpack here so Jess your memorable experience was not getting into theatre school can you tell us about that yeah you know I've never really spoken about it before because it's just something that just popped up when we were talking about that like I've got loads of pre-experiences before this but I remember this one it just it showed me something about myself and I didn't I went I was I was in school and I'd had a lot of domestic violence at home and things just weren't going well and, and I kind of got onto this thing at school lunchtime so I was going into the dance studio with like some girls that enjoyed you know Saturday dance school so I started like going up with them rather than going with the crowd that I could have done which was like the you know the teenage smokers and hanging out with that I, I found this thing that I really liked and I wasn't necessarily very good at it I won't I'll be honest I was just learning it each time I went to the the lunch place at lunchtime and and practiced dancing but I found that it gave me a bit of a spark. And I was like, okay, this is good. Um, and then I wanted to keep going. So I found Italia Conti Saturday School, which I started. I still wasn't very good. I couldn't remember any of the dances. My, my focus was all over the shop. I struggled with that. But I still wanted to carry on. I still wanted to keep going. And then I just auditioned for the, the main school, which is in the Barbican. And it's full-time theatre school. So you do half the academic, most people do, because you're only doing that eight till midday. And then the rest is dancing, acting, singing Monday to Friday. Um, I auditioned. And I was, my heart was set on it because I knew it was, it felt like from what was going on at home, that was my escape. And it always had been, even as a kid, like we said, when you said at my intro there, I was always trying to get kids to do their acting shows and with me in the pub with my mum. And I was always doing something in that genre. And I, I just remember auditioning and I, I knew it had all gone wrong. I knew I wasn't good enough, but I just had the belief to just do it. Uh, I told everyone I auditioned and I wanted to go to this school. And then the next day I woke up to a letter that said I didn't, I was unsuccessful and I didn't get in. So this was like year nine. So they're not going to take you going into year 10 because of GCSEs. And I was devastated. I had to get, I was taken into the special learning room because uh, I was inconsolable and they sent me home. But instead of being like, this is it, this is my life over and I'm 14. It, it, I mm. didn't, I I've had this thing where I was like, well, I want to go. So now I just got to figure out how to go. They've said no, but what do I do to make that no a yes? Um, and I've always been a bit like that, even like when I was a tiny kid in the skateboard park and I couldn't yeah. do it. And then I got one of the boys to put me up the top and I fell off and got a scar on my elbow, which I still have 30 years later. Well, not that long, but 25 years later. And then I remember one of them saying, just watch yourself doing it. And I and I focused it and I just visualized in my head me going down this ramp and across the other side and fine. And then I did it. And then I was like, oh, okay, so there's something in our mind here. And it was that point, I remember there's something in your mind here that actually dictates the outcome of stuff. So I phoned up Italia Conte, got home, and I was like, well, that's a no, but let's see what I can do. So I phoned them up and I said, listen, I just had my, and I'm 14 years old, the, the receptionist must be like, what on earth is going on here? And I said, um, I've just auditioned, I've, I've been told, no, I'm not coming to the school, but but I was wondering if I could re-audition in six months and then repeat year 10, so I do it twice. And then I get another year of training with you guys to be the best I can be. And they're like, well, you can do that if you want. And I was like, great, best tell mum. I'm like, this is what I'm doing, mum. And she's like, oh, okay. Um, so I audition and I was successful. And so six months of training, 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 and then auditioned. And then I got in and I've 
honestly, I was never so excited in my life. And I got to the school and I got in and then I, I just carried on until some more traumas happened, which unfortunately in my mm. late teens meant I had to leave. However, that showed me something about myself. And it was a great first to know that I am so determined if I want something that I will get it no matter what and and that's what I did I, I got it totally and that is the one thing I took away from that note I remember reading it and you said even though I was told no I knew I would be going no matter what and yeah. I just think that that is something that we forget as we get older and I'm curious mm. as to whether you think that like I think so many of us lose that fear of rejection and invincibility it's like when you go skiing and you see the tiny little three-year-olds on their skis and they just go for it they're just gone because they have no they have no concept of what failure in brackets is um why do you why do you think as we get older we become more scared of of the nose yeah I think this is because we have a lot more to deal with as an adult we have a lot more things going on we've got to pay the bills we've got to form healthy relationships we got to there's so many things we are supposed to do to fit into the society that's been created for us so we have to fit into this mold and because that can get a bit overwhelming the things we really want have to take a sideline if they're not there yet they have they end up taking a sideline to all the other worries and problems that we have going on in our life and it deflates us and then we get no motivation because when I did get that no, I thought of nothing else. I didn't need to think of anything else. I was 14, so I didn't need to think mm. about paying the bills. I needed to worry about things at home, but I didn't need to worry about not having a roof over my head. I was privileged in that respect. I had a roof over my head and I knew I was set, well, <laughs> not safe inside the house, but you know, I, I had a roof and I was fine. I could go to school the next day and it was my sole focus. So morning, noon and night, that's what I thought of. That's what I practiced. That's what I did. But as you become older, I think relationships for me this is one thing that always caused my distraction especially during my 20s was distraction of relationships I've never been able to I look back and I've never been able to sustain or keep a healthy relationship with a man and it's because I I found out through therapy through still doing therapy that there's cycles we repeat and it's I'm going for people I've never really seen a healthy relationship as a child Mm. um men I'm a bit fearful of because of things as a child and and re- relationships I got into from that. And I am quite frightened of that. So then that was taking over the determination for what I was actually setting my sights to. So my 20s, the reason I wasn't acting, the reason why I fell into the reality TV and the modeling, because that came easy. I didn't need to think. I didn't need to push too hard. I didn't need to, you know, be, I wasn't determined to do it. It just happened. And I was there. But... I had all these distractions now of I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, this person called me ugly, this person called me fat, this person mm-hmm. did this. And then suddenly all the other dramas and traumas from childhood are all mixed in with this and my focus is gone. And so when we lose our focus, I think it's easier to accept no's, but it still feels crap. But we just kind of get, as, a, as an adult human, we suddenly are like, okay, well, that's a no, we'll move on to the next thing. And we don't give ourselves that focus and we we deserve it. We all deserve it. Definitely, we do. And and you're right, it is, it's all about kind of the growth mindset. It's like, okay, that was a no. So like you said, how can I make it a yes? Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious then, as you, as you sort of brought up the whole reality TV world, I mean, obviously it was so clear from a young age that you wanted this acting dream and that is where your passions were. And I wonder whether, did you lose that dream at all throughout the, the reality days or the modeling days or was it always something that was there underneath? I think the fire was always burning. However, 
I thought I'd lost it for myself and I didn't feel worthy to have it. So I thought, okay, you've done the modeling to earn some money because you've got literally nothing going for you at this point when you dropped out of theater school. My mum had gone blind and my nephew, he was 13 months old, died of meningitis within the same six months of each other. And I lost, I became depressed. I think that's the only way to explain it. I think I became such a pit of depression and lack of self-worth. I didn't feel that I deserved any of it. I, I felt like you, you're you nothing now. And you've and and I think a way of um, confirming that for myself was doing things that I didn't want to do mm. to validate the fact that, yes, the reason why you're not acting is because you've done this and you're not good enough, so stick to that. So it kind of vanished. And I, I remember when I was trying to get myself out of that hole, thinking, well, you're never going to act again. You've absolutely done it for yourself you've 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 shot yourself in the foot and you're never going to work in that way so you might as well get used to this and behave how you you think reality stars supposed to behave and that's what I did um but it wasn't until I say I say about 28 when I got divorced that I kind of I I I could see where I was keeping doing this pattern where I was always on a high because I got a bit of tv work in the reality world and then I dropped down low and it was just this constant pattern and I was like I don't want to do this anymore and I said what is the harm in you going back to adult acting classes so I did that when I was living in Manchester and I, and I did it I think about 27 and then until I left Manchester and left my husband at the time and I just got a bit of self-confidence back and I think you have to step out I was never I was so terrified to go back to this class I cannot express to you how terrified I was it was way more scary than going to Big Brother just be, and it was just a class that everyone's learning in because I didn't feel worthy of having that and going back, stepping out of my comfort zone and being like, this is what you want. Give yourself a chance. And talking to myself to give myself a chance. Did it start to come back? And each time I went, my confidence grew, grew and grew. And all of a sudden, fast forward what, five years, I'm now in a BBC series. So I'm like, okay, Jess, it's all about yourself. It's about everything you tell yourself daily. It's about all the affirmations you give yourself and not talking to yourself in a negative manner that will change your entire life around. Because, yeah, what, what I believe about me is what everyone else is going to believe about me in, in the long run. Totally. And I think you've spoken about this before, but it's looking for the evidence. Um, mm. So, for example, you saying, oh, I'm, I'm terrible, I'm never going to be an actor, I'm never going to be an actor. That's a narrative you're telling yourself when actually the evidence was when I was 13, they told me no, but I made it a yes. Yeah. And I think that that is something which is so key. And it's also, I think, going back to that point we were talking about earlier, why children are so fearless, because they always ask why. Like when I take my nephew somewhere and, and they're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, no, don't do that. They're like, but why? And they look for the evidence as to why they can't do something. And I think that's what we lose as well. I think we can do that in the opposite way as well. So if we tell us something bad about ourselves, we'll confirm the evidence that that's, yeah, we are bad. We'll find, or we're, and then we accidentally sabotage ourselves and stop ourselves from doing things because we've now created evidence from a belief that we have about ourselves that may be negative and it's not actually real. Um, so yeah. it can work in both ways, but we just need to try and put it on the other end where it is, you know, why is that a no? I want it to be a yes and you can go you can go out and find ways for it to be a yes. I think we can always, we, it's our lives and we have to dictate how we want them to go. For sure. Yeah. I also just wanted to pick up on you. I think it's really interesting that you spoke about how relationships were a distraction in your 20s. Um, I think we all know how difficult the dating scene can be. And especially for you being in the public <laughs> eye, like that just must have been an absolute hellhole. But do you remember the first time where you finally felt like you were in a, a good relationship, which was encompassing within the life that you were building for yourself? I don't think I'd ever had that. I think I, from childhood traumas, 
I attached to people that could bring chaos and hurt because that's the only thing I knew what a relationship should be. And so I can't say there's been a relationship from myself where I've found someone that makes me feel safe and secure, but that's also because I wasn't seeking that because I didn't, I didn't know how. And if I did find someone, I think there was one person one time who I think very highly of, but I ended up leaving him because he was settled, secure and safe. And I, that didn't resonate with me. That's not how love should be. I, I only knew lovers, um, fights, abuse, break up, sort it out, love bomb, bump, and round and round. And that, that's not just from, you know, that's not my mum and dad, but that's mum and previous partners. That's me and my mum and my family member. And, you know, these things was always going on. So I didn't really see that. Um, so I don't think there's ever been a relationship that I haven't been trying to save someone. I think my role as a child became the saviour, the caregiver, because of what was going on at home. And that was such a young age that I became the caregiver that now, even to this day in relationships, I'm always actively trying to fix everything for them. And that's, I'm still in therapy because of that, because I, I need to find a balance because I would happily drain every ounce out of myself and put that into someone else if, as long as they're doing better. But sometimes you have to remember that some people don't always appreciate, no, it's not, you're not even doing it for appreciation. It's the only thing I know how to do but you, you can get taken advantage of very easily. Mm. And and that's the danger. You've got to find the balance and self-worth. It, it all interlinks everything with, with this growth and self-love and everything, everything interlinks, I think. So if you're finding yourself going for these certain relationships, you're not loving yourself enough, but you're not loving yourself enough because you've got this childhood trauma and it's all these layers that keep unpicking. And I think forever, you know, people, especially people who've had traumas do... Um, we'll always need to be learning and understanding each process because in a way you know where we're born and what we go through is it's different to each one every person and the, there could be two similar circumstances but someone comes out as the caregiver and someone comes out as a narcissist you know these things it's our perspective on things and it's almost like we have to brainwash ourselves out of these these pattern behaviors through therapy and reprogram the the best thing is is that yes it's painful but at the other end of it becomes a new life and a new you and you can you can get rid of all that pain. Mm, for sure. If you could go back and not have done any of the reality or the modeling or anything like that, and you know, after the after you dropped out of theater school, pursued acting, mm. and that had been the last 10 years of your life, would you do it? If you'd have asked me this three years ago, I'd have said, yeah, absolutely. I'd have taken a rubber and erased everything. But now, no, um, because I think I've grown and learned so much about myself that even if people look and find a detriment to me for the reason they won't put me in their TV show or their film because of that, then so be it. Because I've learned so many lessons that I needed to learn from, from all of that about myself that I wouldn't not want to have that knowledge now. And I'm grateful for the knowledge I have of myself and my patterns and the way I work and the way the brain works. Maybe I wouldn't have that information if I hadn't have had all of them mm. things. So yeah, I wouldn't change it now. <laughs> now we're moving on to the first experience that you want to have. And so this is something that you've never done before, but you really want to try for the first time. And Jess, you've said, I want to travel in an RV across America, like in the movies. So tell me about that dream. So 
yeah, there's so many things I always think that I want to do, I want to do, and this one's sprung to mind. And I just love the like nomad kind of vibe sometimes. And I know that we can't really, I can't sustain it with the way I want to do with my career and that. So it'd just be nice one day to just pack up, drive wherever, see new things. I want to see Area 51. I want to see where the aliens are supposed to be. I want to, <sighs> I want to just experience different ways of life because I think we're born into a a lifestyle and I think unless we take time to look at other people's ways of life we always will be stuck a bit ignorant because we can't then use thoughts of another perspective so if I meet someone and we don't get on it's because my perspective is so stuck in who I am and my beliefs that I'm not opening up to understand anyone else so the RV thing was just to drive through and see different towns. And it doesn't just have to be America. I could get in an RV and travel anywhere and find different communities, different cultures, different everything, so that we can broaden our horizons. I think we learn so much from other people that I think it's the only way to really keep our minds open. And I think Dr. Wayne Dyer said, keep a mind that is attached to nothing, but open to everything. And I think that mm. is such a lovely um, quote from him because it you know if we're attached to some some belief system some way of life we can never ever understand anyone else and I think from understanding people we develop empathy and with empathy become we become kind and I think to have more kindness is what we all need in the world totally and I think it scares a lot of people as well um I've got friends who have been to to Kenya and so certain places in Asia like Nepal and things and they've helped in 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 charity work with refugees and I'm like oh my gosh that just must be the most grounding experience and like you said put your life into serious perspective when you're Mm. having a go at the you know person who works in Costa for getting your oat latte wrong do you know what I mean exactly it must just be so I don't know like a profound experience and definitely one I want to 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 experience as well um it's funny because whenever I sort of talk about these three firsts they're great conversation starters and um a lot of the people who want to experience something for the first time is just getting away traveling going somewhere new um what's what do you think has been in the way of that for you is it purely the career do you think I think do you know what I've been quite fortunate that I have done a lot of charity mountain climbs. So I climbed Kilimanjaro, um, Kinabalu in Borneo, um, Machu Picchu in Peru, and then the five peaks in England and a few England mountains. Um, and that has been my getaway. But I just, I think it's just been, yeah, with, with the actual going off on my own in a van, it's sometimes finances or I've been married or I've been in a relationship, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but the the trips away have kind of settled that that um, need for going off to find all these. Like mm-hmm. Kilimanjaro was probably the most incredible experience of my life and a time when I was probably at my lowest, um, lowest self-worth, lowest everything. And I just remember being at the bottom of that mountain looking up and I was like, you think I'm going to get up that in seven days? I was absolutely, you think you get 10 years, like the way how high it was. It was above the clouds. I was thinking there's no chance. Uh, and we started. And then we had a group with us and then I'd meet other groups and then the porters that are from Kilimanjaro and they come and help us. And I started to realise life is not just me. (laughs) I think we all get stuck in that. This is happening to me. Oh my goodness. I'm so pissed off today. And all all these kind of things. 
Whereas actually you're like, wow, life is, whether we're here or not, this earth is going to survive. It will wipe us out before it blows up. The earth, you see if when a fire happens and it clears, trees start to regrow. This earth is fine. It's us that are messing it up because we're so caught in ourselves. And I think doing things like that, especially with Kilimanjaro, where it was so grueling and tough and you realise you are at the mercy of, of the planet itself and the universe, whatever's going on at that time, causing different weathers, different everything. We are at the mercy of that. And we're not indestructible. We are. And, you know, I see. I was seeing people come down the mountain bleeding noses because of the um, lack of oxygen, the altitude being rushed down. They couldn't make it to the top. We're, we're just here temporarily. And I think when I realised, I think we all, that's just kind of going off topic, but we, we all have a fear of death you know that's why our fight or flight kicks in and we're hardwired I suppose to to survive but once we realize that death will happen to all of us only then I think can we start to live properly and not just go along with things like like you said with the coffee order in the grand scheme of things does that really matter no like I kind that's why I kind of have this kind of care carefree attitude but it's not necessarily carefree I care deeply about things but I know what to let go and what not to let go Mm. I know that if I see an injustice I'm gonna speak up I know that if I see someone I love being hurt I'm gonna stick up for them and ask the person why they're hurting them but and also to me if someone's hurting me I'm gonna speak up and say this is hurting me why are you why is why are you doing this but if I'm gonna get mad at someone who's tooted their horn at me because I've done a stupid driving or mad at someone from the coffee shop I'm just going to make their day bad and they're going to feel bad about themselves. And what has that actually done for me? I've still got a shit coffee. So, yeah. so like, it's not going to, it's not going to change anything. And I think when you can see people from different cultures, see people from different classes, see people from, you know, people as people, you mm. start to lose that need to be self-righteous in a way. And you, you just get on with life and it does flow a lot better. There really is. And I think i we sometimes find it hard to balance what is worth, like you said, what is worth getting worked up about and what mm. is worth just let it go? Because when you were saying all that, I was just thinking of the Queen song, you know, when he goes, nothing really matters. Yeah. And <laughs> that terrifies me. That that line mm. terrifies me because then it's like we lose full meaning for ourselves. Um, And as much as we're hardwired to fear death, I think we're also hardwired to find purpose. Why am I here? What does exactly. it all mean? Um. So yeah, I could go round and round in circles talking about this and go into full existential crisis mode. Well, I do. I did it when I first like to kind of get this this notion in my head. I was like, oh my god, I'm meaningless. <laughs> like it scared yeah. me because because I, I I came to this thought process. I was like, well, if we're gonna die anyway, I'm getting a mortgage. I'm stressing about this, but I'm actually only renting my house because it's never going to be mine. I'm not going to be here. It's going to outlive me. You know, that was the yeah. kind of brain I was getting. I was thinking, oh, this is dangerous thinking. So then I have to go, okay, purpose. The reason I want this is so that whilst I'm here, I have a safe space and I'm comfortable and I can bring my children up in here. If I have them, I can bring my nieces over and then they can find joy in this house. So then you find your purposes to it because if you just right. solely go on, okay, um, we're all going to die, so what, whatever, bad, bad route to go down because I've tried yeah. it. <laughs> but you've got to attach your your meaning and your purposes. I think I spoke about this before is um, purpose, goals and meaning. And uh, our goals, our drive are to have our successes. You know, I want to be an actress and I'm going to solely focus on that. And when I solely focus on that, if I'm not working, which is for actors a lot of the time, 80, 90% of their time, that means I'm 80, 90% of my life depressed because I'm not doing what my 
my purpose is but when you put that as a goal and then you take away purpose and you put purpose with meaning and marry those mm. two together you've then got okay my purpose is now I'm, I find meaning in looking after my niece and my nephew and having them over and doing kids stuff with them and watching them smile that gives me meaning for the day so therefore I'm going to attach my purpose to that or I really enjoy um, doing work with the guide dogs charity um, because it helps so many people and that gives me meaning that I've helped someone so therefore there's my purpose in that so you put your purposes on not your goals your purposes have to have meaning and joy um, mm. but when I kind of separated those I found a lot more happiness so the final first experience we're going to be talking about is the experience you wish you'd never had um, obviously throughout this interview you've sort of touched on the traumas that you went through as a child and in sort of early adolescence as well um for someone who might not be familiar with your background I wondered if you could kind of give us a little I say overview which is the most horrible way to put it because it can't be an overview and it's so you know intrinsic to who you are but mm-hmm. um I guess maybe letting our listeners know a little bit more about what happened back then and how that has affected you now yeah, and why it obviously you wish it, it never happened so to go back I won't I won't put any names or anything so I've never really done that but there was a lot of domestic violence with a family member and my mother and I was young um so I was always trying to I mean three or four nights a week I'd be on the phone to the police ripping this person off my mum screaming it, it was just very traumatic very things things that you shouldn't be seeing as such a young age you should be feeling safe in your home and um one of my therapists he said to me how it's you know, normally if we see a bear in the woods, we can run to a safe home. But when the bear's in the house, where do you run to? And and so you develop sort certain coping strategies that you then take into your your future life. So seeing all of that and you know becoming the protector, becoming the trying to fix everything was all from seeing these these acts of violence um, and just horror of seeing the. It was horrific seeing it. Um, I was scared. I developed a coping mechanism in my brain, which was to, I mean, now I can get really stressed. So I'm just going to flip forward to to right now. It's the the coping mechanism that my brain still has from that time. I don't lose it now. I don't, my mind doesn't go, oh my God, I'm in a panic. Help me, help me. It doesn't do that. I'll be very calm. In in, In an absolute crisis, I'm very, very calm, but my body suffers. So I tremble really badly tremble and also I, I think a lot of women will experience this my period stops um if I'm if I've got too much stress on my period stops um I can get IBS and those things kind of installed into my adult life now um because of coping strategies which I still am working on to make sure that I can re- rewrite them for myself so that they don't always have to be there because I, I read this really um I don't know if you've read the Will Smith book um he tells a fable within this book and it really really struck a chord with me the fable is that there's a monk and he's on an island and it's flooding and he has to get over to the other side of the island um to another island so he finds a boat and he gets in the boat and he sails across to the other island but and he pulls his boat up onto the side now on this island it's full of trees so he's trying to pull his boat through the through the trees but it's getting stuck and now it's pulling him back and the thing that saved his life in the first instance is now like going to kill him if he doesn't let it go so it kind of resembles our mind so something that we developed to save us as a young child or developed to save us in our early years that thinking now will destroy all our future relationships or our future behaviors 
because we can't let that go because when it worked then it doesn't work now and I found that really really good to to read because there's so many patterns that I'd done um to protect myself to save myself that they're not working in my adult life so they don't they don't serve me anymore in fact they're to my detriment so when we can address them and find them we then have the opportunity to relearn and redo things but we don't know what we don't know so unless you can spot them and find them is anything ever going to be able to change and that's why we can't be so hard on ourselves mm-hmm. um i wish i didn't have to experience that because of the outcome it's had on my life however i can use these things to keep developing myself and in turn speak to people and help people that may be back in my old mindset to move forward so again it's not that i don't wish i had it it's just that it's I mean, no one really wants to see that, do they? So yeah, of course no. you don't wish to have it. But yeah. at the same time, it's it has caused a lot of adult problems within my life mm. that I still have to work on each and every day to ensure I don't fall back into any patterns or, or zones that are that are, you know need comforting. Yeah, and I'm I'm just so sorry that you had to go through such trauma so young and for such a long time as well. You know, mm. it must have just it's unimaginable really um I'm curious you speak a lot about safety and obviously I I love that fable actually that's really really interesting um way to sort of uh, talk about that um do you remember a time that after the trauma where you the first time you felt safe I don't know if I'll ever I hope to, because I want to change the blueprint and that's what I'm working on. And like I said, there's never a no, there's always a way. So there's there's a way we're going to do it. But um, I don't, I think safety is so high on my list of things I want from life that I end up almost sabotaging it myself. So um, I'll either like in previous relationships go out with someone that's completely unreliable and going to be dangerous or, um, you know, I, I feel safe in my home now. I feel safe with who I am and I think that's the main thing we can never you know rule out dangers they're they're everywhere walk out the front door there's a danger um so there's always going to be that part of the brain mine just flares up a lot quicker than I probably think Mm. most people's do um where there's there's a lack of safety but as long as we can start to look at ourselves and figure out the things that are causing this or things that have caused us turbulent life choices or or detrimental life choices and we find us we find um compassion for ourselves and love for ourselves we can have a safety within ourselves even if the outside world is not very safe and I think that's the way I see it now I'm safe within myself because I trust Mm. myself now Mm. it struck me when I was actually reading silver linings um you sort of speaking about in, in quite a lot of detail, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the calls the, to the police, the hiding behind the bins, that trying mm-hmm. to protect your mum and things like that. It must have been, I mean, reading it, I felt emotional. I can't even imagine how it must have felt for you writing it. Um, but do you find that when you write about these things, it is quite cathartic? Or do you still feel that pain when you when you try and communicate these things now? Um, I don't think I feel the pain of it. And I don't think I ever... I think I disassociated a lot, but unfortunately when you do that, I look back now and I can watch that scene over in my head with hiding behind the bins and, and running out with my bare feet in my little pajamas at 3 a.m. and I can I can see myself 
flagging down the policeman. And I don't, it doesn't really trigger anything in me. It's almost like watching a story or watching a film, but the damage that did will, will be something I've had to work on throughout my life. Um, I found writing it down more shocks me than anything because I was like, I have all these memories that I, you know, it's like, oh, it's fine. It's just how it was, childhood. And I always brushed it off. Oh, it wasn't that big a deal. And then I'm, when I actually gave myself the credit to be like, Jess, that was a big deal. That was awful thing to go through and see. Did I start healing? Because at that point, I'm giving myself permission. Before, I was like, you're fine. What are you talking about? Because that's what, I, you know, I was told, you know, if you tell anyone, you could get taken away. So I'm like, zomp, mouth shut, not, not telling anyone. And you brush it aside. But when you've had serious traumas, you can't brush it aside. You have to address them. And I spent so long not addressing them that writing it down was almost like, oh, God, there is a lot there. And that gave me the opportunity to then unpack it and and speak to people and start mm. getting my brain readjusted and, and relearning things. And speaking of writing things down, did you say that you're writing again? Is a yes. book coming? Yes, I'm on my second book. Now, this isn't a memoir. This is more um self-development and I'm not saying I've got it all together because I don't I don't think anyone ever has it all together and they know everything because if you think like that you don't know much I think um but it's it's just development as in like where I I spot a subject for instant victim mode there was a time when I stuck myself in victim mode and all it did was enable me to be more in victim mode and do more stupid things and it wasn't until I learned to take responsibility that I came out of victim mode. So one of the chapters is about that. And it's how I did that. And I'll explain a scenario and then I'll use say, the tools and then the realizations, like the light bulb moments that I had that managed to get my thinking to twist. Um, and that's the kind of basis of this book. And it's a 20 chapter book. Um, and it's just all about awareness, um, victim mode, self and uh, emotional intelligence. There's all these different chapters, which I found got me from one end of the spectrum to the other. And I learned about myself in the most amazing ways. And that is the, you know, the book is just to try and help people um, do the same if they have had any traumas or even just life experiences that they didn't really like. I'm just popping a quick note in here as I'm currently sat in the cozy and comfortable home of this season's sponsors, First and Last Coffee. This glorious cafe was, ironically, and I'm not just saying this because it's on brand with the podcast, but it was the first coffee shop I ever set foot in when I moved to Toronto. And my God, did it set the bar high. The coffee honestly tastes amazing. The 60s vintage style interior is super quirky and fun, and it takes every ounce of self-control I possess not to pick up one of their delicious breakfast sandwiches every morning on my way to work. If you're around the Annex neighbourhood, then you absolutely need to check them out. Pop in for a coffee, browse the vintage clothes rail, or soak up the sun like I'm doing right now in their little courtyard area. Huge thank you to First and Last again for sponsoring the show. Speaking of, let's get back to it. So we're going to play quick fire firsts now. So this is a game where I ask you about a time when, and you have to answer with the first memory or feeling or thing that comes into your head. Um, yeah. and then sort of talk about it. So our first one is a time when you said something and then immediately wished you hadn't. First oh thing that comes to mind. <laughs> this was, I mean, yesterday, I, I've got a really bad habit of when I'm around loads of people I don't know, just blur, blah, 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 like talking nonsense. And I was in, um, 
I was in a waiting room yesterday about to do the ADR for this TV series and there was four Spanish men talking in Spanish and they and they spoke in English and said, oh, you with us? And I was like, oh, no, no, but um, you've, your Spanish is really good. And I just went bright red. I was like, why have I said that? And they all just started laughing because they knew I just, I just weird. I just can't, I, <laughs> social circumstances and me do not mix that well. <laughs> so that was one of them. There's been plenty more, I can assure you, but that was just stands out because it was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I love how recent it was so good (laughs) weekly thing so there's always something like that popping up okay our next one is oh this is a bit deep um a time when you felt truly and deeply loved um I think my nan and granddad were great so I really felt when I was at their house my nan was really caring so if I stayed with my nan and I think for the first year at Italia Conti, I moved in with Nan and Grandad for a while. And Nan always had my dinner on the table. She always, you know, was making sure I was okay. She was she she made me understand real love and granddad did too. And it was safety and uh, there was nothing to fear. And I think Nan and Grandad really gave me that sense of love. And I really felt that from them. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Honestly, I all of my grandparents have passed away now and I'm so envious of some of my friends who still have them because I think when you're young you see grandparents as old people and forget (laughs) that they were actually once people like me and you and young and wild and yeah (laughs) some of the stories and I I do genuinely think that generation show love and communicate in such a different way to how people communicate now. Yeah. You know I mean? And I think there's a reason for this. And I was reading it in Mark Manson's book called Everything is F. Oh yeah, F- everything's fucked. Yeah. There's, a, there's a cycle that seems to happen in history, which is, I, I won't get this word for word, but it's hard times make strong people, strong people make good times, good times make weak people. And then the cycle goes on. So then everything goes to a bit of, you know, the grandparents had the hard times. So they made strong people. So they were resilient and strong. But then the strongness of that makes people have a good time and they can relax more. And then suddenly people become weak and then we do it all wrong again. And then it goes back in this cycle loop. And it really struck me because it does seem like if we look at the generation we're in now, I think we're in the bit where everything's a little bit effed. Um, And it's all kind of coming back round. So the hard times now are going to make the stronger people. So I'm hoping that's the next phase of life. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like with the pandemic and everything like ever. Oh, my Mm. gosh. That's why yeah. okay, that's, that's really interesting. Um, okay, our final one is a time when someone surprised you. Someone surprised me in a good way. I'm going to go for it. <laughs> we'll forget the negatives because I've been many of those. Um, people surprised me. Uh, do you know what? I think maybe my mum because she, she, she's, she's a blind woman, and. She surprises me sometimes with a lot of the time, actually, how she gets through day-to-day life of being blind. Because I think that was a big fear of me me now, seeing what my mum had gone through in in that process of going blind. And now, you know, she's out with her guide dog. And I think every time I see her walking down the street, sometimes I'll drive past and I'll see her in the the street with her guide dog going to the shop. And I, I feel this need to jump out and put her in the car and save her. But I don't, because I know she's safe. And it surprises me how how incredible they work as a team. And that's why I love the Guide Dogs charity because it does give everyone their independence and freedom back. And I think it's it's still, even though you know they can do it, I have this overwhelming need to make sure she's safe. But, you know, it's so surprising how amazing they 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 work together. And it's just a lovely surprise seeing it, you know. 
Oh, that's such a good one. That must be so incredible to see as well. Because it wasn't it around yeah. your early twenties when she she went blind. That must yeah, I was so seventeen hard. when she went blind. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh well, I'm glad that the I mean the guide dogs are just incredible. Like sometimes I watch they them, I'm like this is absolutely unreal. So yeah, you must be really proud of her as well. Oh, <laughs> yes, thank you so much. This has been honestly one of the best interviews for this show so far. I just think that you're so honest and real. And thank you for just like bringing your whole self to this. I, I've loved it. No, I hope you have. Thank to. you so much for having me.